0: We are continuing on with NT75, 75 days through the New Testament. I've got a couple of announcements I want to share with you before we get to Galatians 6. Next Sunday, if you come to church without setting your clock back on Saturday night, you'll be really early for second service, okay? So when you go to bed, make sure we fall back, we set our clocks back an hour. That means for you and me, we get an extra hour of sleep next Saturday night. Also, in your bulletin, you've got this blue uh, insert. The grab-and-go is right around the corner. If you don't know what this is, this is one of our church's great outreach opportunities. We invite those in our community and surrounding communities that are in need to come in and to be blessed. And that takes place on Sunday, Saturday, excuse me, December 17th. We have a a huge need for people that will help make this a reality. We have a great planning team. Cody Monkman kind of launched this vision a couple years ago. Jody Carr, Marsha Wise, Leslie Gavush. There's a whole bunch of people. I'm leaving people's names out. But they need your help. And if you can help with this, please fill this out. You can turn it into myself or to Ernie or to Jim after the service. Uh, We would love to see as many people as possible plug in with this wonderful ministry opportunity. And finally, uh, next week I will not be preaching. Jerry Dusenberry will be preaching. He's going to be our special guest. He is the preacher of North Point Christian Church in Providence, Rhode Island. Does that ring a bell to anybody? I hope it does. Because two years ago, one of our special offerings around this time went to help North Point become the first independent Christian church in the state of Rhode Island. And they have had an awesome two years. Many really great things are happening in the name of the Lord through the ministry of North Point. And Jerry's going to come and give us an update. But he's really going to do more than that because right now in Rhode Island, as we meet in Clinton, there is a brand new church meeting for the very first time. North Point has had such a great first two years. They are planning a church. We are partnering with them to launch South Point Christian Church, and their very first services took place at 11 o'clock today. Now, have you watched the news? Have you paid attention to what's happening in Rhode Island? They have a blizzard going on. Lots and lots of snow and wind and uh, you you don't think snow, wind, and power outage when you think the month of October typically. So what I want to do right now even though their services are wrapping up is I want to just stop what we're doing and I want to just take a moment and pray for their lead minister Tanner Green and the Christians in Providence, Rhode Island as South Point Christian Church begins today. Let's pray. God we thank you so much that Even though our church has been having Sunday gatherings since 1852, we realize that your kingdom's a lot bigger than First Christian Church. It's a lot bigger than Clinton, Illinois, and that this morning in the state of Rhode Island, one of the smallest states in the Union, the second independent Christian church began to meet. And I'm just so thankful for the vision of Jerry Dusenberry, Dan Clymer, and Restoration House Ministries. And and the people that have committed uh, sweat, they've committed time, they've committed finances to make this a reality. I am so looking forward to hearing from Jerry next week. I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to give really generously this Thanksgiving as we bless the South Point Christian Church with our Thanksgiving offering. Thanks for giving us these reminders that we're part of something really big and we're a part of something really special. Bless Tanner, South Point. It's in your name we pray. Amen. A couple of upcoming events just to make you aware of. Tonight at 545, Lincoln Christian University is hosting a reception in our Family Life Center for friends and alums. And if you want to come and meet President Keith Ray and a couple of the VPs, Len Laughlin's going to be here, consider yourself invited. It's from 545 to 7 tonight in our Family Life Center. And then two weeks from today, November 13th, the YMCA is inviting you to their open house. we got a little more information about it in the bulletin. You'll hear more about it next week as well. But if you've not been to the Y lately, come on out for a free spaghetti supper and see what the Y is doing. Okay, NT75. This week we wrapped up 2 Corinthians and we dove in and read the books of Galatians and Ephesians. Today's reading is the four chapters of the book of Philippians, and as I was kind of setting this all up and trying to decide what do I want to preach this week, the the book that kept coming to mind was the book of Galatians. So what I want to do before I get to Galatians 6 is kind of tell you why Paul wrote this book and why I think it is significant. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament. That's almost half of the 27 books of the New Testament, and the book of Galatians is the very first book that he wrote. He wrote this book after the first missionary journey. You can read about the first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. Happened around 46, 47, 48 AD. Paul and Barnabas come home from this first missionary journey and a crisis erupts. A crisis breaks out. Many of the places where Paul and Barnabas had established churches and started preaching, people came behind them and started saying, you've only got part of the story. It's great that you love Jesus. It's great that you believe and you repent and you confess and that you're baptized, but that's not enough. Before you can become a Christian, you first have to become a Jew. And the way that you become a Jew, Mr. Gentile, is that you have this little small medical procedure known as circumcision. And it was a huge crisis potentially. Well, they have this council, they call it the Jerusalem Council, because it took place in Jerusalem, that's Acts chapter 15, and they have basically this big hearing, and Paul and Barnabas get to talk, and the Judaizers get to talk, and they decide that, no, you don't have to become a Jew before you become a Christian, you don't have to submit to the medical procedure known as circumcision, you have freedom in Christ. And it's on that, that, the heels of that, that council that Paul writes this book to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was not a city, it was a province. There's all kinds of different churches there. And he writes this book, and the whole idea behind this book is that we have freedom in Christ. For five chapters, he reiterates that if you're trying to earn your salvation, if you're trying to do good thing, good thing, good thing, good thing, good thing, go to heaven, you're, you got the wrong formula. The formula is this, come to Christ, know Christ, and you'll go to heaven. That's the whole point of the book of Galatians up to this point. But then Paul, I believe, kind of stops and realizes that he spent a lot of time talking freedom, a lot of time repudiating that idea of earning your salvation, and he doesn't want anyone to misunderstand what it means to be a Christian. So that's a big setup. That's a big introduction. And I want to start this morning with one question for you to consider. And here it is: do you count the cost? Do you count the cost? You have a biology test, you're not good at biology, you didn't spend enough time studying. You can take a little cheat sheet in with you and hide it under your test. But have you counted? the cost you realize that man taxes are going to just smack you upside the head this year and if you really record all the extra income that you've earned you're going to be writing the irs a big old check and so you think you know what i might not share this income i might not report that income i might cut corners here i might cut corners there but did you count the cost you think to yourself, you know, is marriage really supposed to just be one man, one woman forever? Can I have a little fun? My spouse isn't what he or she used to be. Does it really matter? But did you count the cost? I have a somewhat humorous video clip that I want to show you. It's only about 15 seconds long. Let's look at the look at it at this time. Okay. Anybody know what that is? Any idea? Anybody see that? It happened a week and a half ago at a football game on a Thursday night between the University of Arizona and UCLA. That young man in the shorts, I've never seen officials with shorts on, but he had shorts and the referee's jersey on. He was a 22-year-old college student by the name of Jace Lankow. Now, I don't know Jace, you don't know Jace, but all of America got to know Jace a little bit when he decided to run onto the field right before halftime of this Division One football game and basically acting like he's an official. His plan was to steal the football and to run down the field. The referee wouldn't give it to him, but what you didn't see is that he took all of his clothes off except for his tidy whities and ran around the field until about eight state troopers grabbed him and tackled him, and man, they're jamming his head into the ground, and all kinds of good stuff was happening. Now, the, the, uh, the after effect of that is while all the police were wrestling him down, the two football teams got into a huge brawl to where ten players were ejected, players have been suspended, it was absolute mayhem. And, and the story of the night he was on ESPN Sports Center and even made some of the major news shows was what a crazy 22-year-old young man. Now, my question for him that night would have been, did you count the cost? And I'm pretty sure he didn't count the cost because even though he is a major in ag science and plans to graduate this spring, he has been charged with criminal impersonation. That is a class six felony, and he is probably going to jail for up to a year and a half. Did he count the cost. Somewhat humorous to us, probably not very funny to him today as he resides more than likely from a jail cell in Tucson, Arizona. I I shared that video clip because I wanted to, to, to give you a picture of something that seems really fun or outside the box or, hey world, check me out. But the after effects, the price that will be paid will not, all, not at all be worth the, the 15 seconds of fame. In your Bibles, in Galatians chapter 6, here's what the Apostle Paul says about this whole idea of counting the cost. He says in chapter 6, beginning with verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please a sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap destruction eternal life. And and so I want to start this morning by just giving you the point of the message. If you get nothing else, get this. Your decisions, your life choices matter. If you're a high school student, your decisions and your life choices matter. If you're a middle-aged adult like I am, your decisions and your life choices matter. If you're a senior citizen, your decisions and your life choices matter. Matter. Now, 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 two truths of Scripture. These are universal truths of Scripture, not just in the book of Galatians, but all through God's Word, we need to understand as we go into the study. And truth number one is this, we can be forgiven of any sin that we commit. I, I believe that's true. I praise God that that's true. If you commit a sin, you can be forgiven of that sin. First 1 John 1, 1.9, we're going to look at 1 John 1 in two weeks. 1 John 1, 1.9 says that God is faithful and just, and if we confess our sins, He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I want you to know that if you're a sinner, of course you're a sinner, we're all sinners, we can be forgiven of any sin. But here's truth number two, and we don't like truth number two as much. Here's what it is, the consequences of our actions. The consequences of the sins that we commit can, and many times do, linger for quite some time. My guess is that 22-year-old is going to go before a judge, and he's going to say something along the lines of, I was an idiot. I'm really sorry. Maybe I was drunk. I don't know what he's going to say. He's going to show a lot of remorse, And the judge may say, you know what, I was 22 one time, don't worry about it, buddy. Don't let it happen again. But there's a really good chance that they're going to lay the the law down upon him and he's going to have consequences that last, not for days, not for weeks, but for months, maybe as long as a year. Same thing is true of us in our lives. The decisions that we make, the bad choices that we make, we can be forgiven, but the consequences will stick with us. Understand, God's not stupid. I think what this passage of Scripture is trying to say is that God knows you. God knows your heart. He doesn't have amnesia. And while He will forgive you, there's a good chance the consequences could linger. So, real quickly this morning, that's a long setup. The sermon's really pretty short. Three truths that I want to give you from Galatians chapter 6. And number one is this. It's found in verse 5. You carry your own load. Write that down. You carry your own load. Paul says exactly that in Galatians 6 verse 5. Each one should carry his own load. It's all about you. I'm a parent, I love my son, Peyton. I love my daughter, Jordan. I want them to grow up and love Jesus more than anything in this world. I want them to grow up and make a difference for the kingdom forever and ever. That's why I want them to know the Bible. That's why they're at church when the doors are open. But you know what? Ultimately, it's going to be on their shoulders. Ultimately, when they turn 18, first Sunday uh, uh, that college takes place, I'm not going to be at the dorm room knocking on the door, Jordan, come on, it's time to get up for church. She's going to have to decide, is this thing I've been doing for 18 years important or not? And many of you, you remember that first Sunday, don't you? That mom wasn't making you go, and you had to decide, is this real for me or not? Each one should carry his own load. Um, I have a friend that's in prison. He's probably going to be in prison for most of the next 25 years. He was a former minister. He, He made some really bad choices. I visited him at our jail here in town. He was housed at our jail before being sentenced. And a very good friend uh, did camp with him for for many years. And I love so much his spirit. He said, you know what, Greg? I'm 100% guilty. I made really bad choices. And I'm going to pay for those really bad choices. I got to tell you, I never, I talk to people that have been in jail somewhat regularly. We're a block away. I've never heard that out of somebody's mouth before. I'm 100% guilty. I'm going to get what I deserve. And while we're not maybe heinous criminals that are going to go to prison for 25 years, you know what? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the first part of this truth that Paul's trying to impart is understand, it's all about you. You carry your own load. Number two, we're moving on. Number two, Paul says simply, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Verse seven says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, a woman reaps what they sow. Look at what he says right here. God will not be deceived. You shouldn't be deceived either. God cannot be mocked, so don't mock him. And here's the point. If you, and I I think this is what Paul's trying to say, in the midst, in the context of this talk on freedom in Christ, he says, if you continually commit premeditated sin, knowing that you'll be forgiven later on, you are mocking God. How how many of us are guilty of that at times? I, I am. How many of us are guilty of not Every day, waking up and saying, Today is going to be the day that I pray that prayer that we have at the end of the prayer of Jabez Lord, keep me from evil. Keep my hands from evil. Help me live a life that is pure and honorable and noble and good and is right. Philippians 4, verse 8. Two things about reaping that I want you to understand. And my heart is really this morning as I preach this, I, I, this is for everybody. But all week long as I prepared this, I couldn't help but think about our high school students and our college students. And that's not fair um, because it applies to all of us. But I really, if you're a high schooler and you're not paying attention right now, start paying attention. Okay, because I think this is so relevant for where you're at in your life right now. Two things I want you to understand about reaping. You always reap later. You always reap later. Um, Let's be honest. Sin's fun when we're committing it, isn't it? I've never had someone come in my office and say, Pastor, you know, I was in this extramarital affair, and man, it was just miserable the whole time. I'd be like, I should go home to my spouse, but I have to go cheat on my spouse. Now it was just awful. I've never had that testimony, ever. I've never had that. I've had people say, you know what? It was awesome. It was incredible. It was powerful. You always reap later. I hate telling this story about myself. It's one of my dark moments, but I couldn't think of a better illustration so you get to hear about it again. When I was a sophomore in high school... I went on a band trip, did some really stupid things. Alcohol was involved, behaved very inappropriately. And in the midst of my fun, on the way home from this band trip, we were at the back of the bus. We were kind of the rebels. One of the sponsors, we didn't have any teachers on the bus. We didn't have any administrators on the bus. We just had some parent chaperones. And one of the parents, I'd known his daughter since I was in kindergarten. He came back and he looked at me and I wrote down this quote. He looked at me and he said, Greg, I sure hope you've enjoyed your fun. And you know the truth of the matter is, I had enjoyed my fun, but those words were the words of a prophet because the fun stopped right then. And I knew Saturday night into Sunday into Monday, big time consequences were coming my direction. You always reap later. Secondly, you always reap later, but you always reap greater. You always reap greater. So many times the reaping is so much harder. It's so much greater than we ever imagined. I think of King David, and I think of David being on top of the world in so many ways, on top of the world spiritually. He was on top of the world from an authority standpoint. He was the man, the man after God's own heart. And yet it all started to crumble when he became complacent And before long, his complacency led him to walking on a rooftop at night because he was bored. There was no cardinal baseball to watch at that time. And he's on the rooftop, and he's looking around, and the next thing you know, he sees a beautiful woman. And he starts to lust, and lust leads to adultery, and an unplanned pregnancy, and deception comes into play. And before long, he's committed premeditated first-degree murder. And the man who started out after God's own heart was a deceiver and an adulterer and a murderer and in the midst of that god forgave him of those awful awful sins those are some really awful sins god forgave him but guess what david could never escape he never escaped the consequences for the rest of his life he faced the consequences of his sin we'll reap later we'll reap later greater. Well, you're probably thinking, Greg, thanks for this uplifting message. This has been really encouraging today. Well, there's good news, and that's part three. Here's the good news. Finally, you reap benefit when you sow good. You reap benefit when you sow good. Look at what Galatians 6 verse 8 says. The one who sows to please a sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction, but the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. See, this message doesn't have to be a negative one. I would even say this message shouldn't be a negative one. When you read Galatians 6 verse 7 and 8, it shouldn't discourage you. It should encourage you, knowing that if you sow good, you will reap positive. So it's in that light that I've got two challenges for everybody in this room today. Number one is this, do an honest assessment of where you're at in your life today. Assess your spiritual life. Are you growing or are you stuck in the mud spiritually? Are you closer to the Lord today than you were a year ago? Or five years ago? Or ten years ago? Where are you at? Assess your family relationships. What kind of husband are you? What kind of wife are you? What kind of mother or father are you? What kind of grandma or grandpa are you? What kind of brother or sister are you? Do an honest assessment of your family relationships. What about your financial life? If you're like me, 42, assess where you're at in your financial life. Are you being wise? Are you making good choices? Are you committed to good, strong financial giving to the Lord? Not for your glory, for His glory. And then I'd be remiss in this passage of Scripture if I didn't bring up sin. Assess where your life is at right now from a sin factor. Do you have uncontrolled sin in your life? Is there something that's got a hold of you? And and I don't mean that it has to be adultery or that it has to be drunkenness or drug abuse. Gossip is an uncontrolled sin that's destructive and devastating. Being a person of dissension, you know people like that? they're, They're always negative. They go hear a, a great sermon and a great worship service, and you know they didn't like the fact that one of the screens was wrong. They're always having a negative perspective. That will kill your spiritual life if you're a negative-based person. So do an honest assessment. Challenge number two is harder. It's easy to do an assessment. We can all do an assessment. But challenge number two is more difficult, and that is this. Start doing what you really should have been doing all along. Start putting into place those principles that should have always been a part of your life. This year, I've read more Bible than any year in my adult life. I'm 42. When do you become an adult? Do we say 21? Is that when we become an adult now? So for half of my time on this earth, I've been an adult, and I've read more Bible this year than any year since. And it's been an awesome year. I was telling my Sunday school class, it has helped me so much as a preacher and teacher, just being in the Word every day. But you know what? I'd like to say to the 25-year-olds and the 26-year-olds, I regret that that hasn't been pattern behavior for the 21 years that I've been an adult. Now, don't get me wrong, I've always spent time in the Bible, but there were periods of my life that as an adult Christian minister, the only time I was in the Bible was when I was doing sermon work. Or when I was doing lesson work. And I regret that. I wish I could go back to 25, to 26, to 27. Start doing now what you should have been doing all alone. If you say, I'm a crummy dad right now, or I'm a crummy mom right now. I'm not the the husband I want to be or the wife I want to be. Do something about it. Make a change today. Right now, today. Say, I'm going to start doing what I should have been doing all along. The bottom line is this, we can start forming habits today and those will stick with us for a lifetime if we follow that principle of you reap what you sow. Here's your bottom line today, big picture, think big picture. Never forget, you reap what you sow. Your good decisions and your kingdom actions will make a difference. I got to hear this week one of my favorite preachers, in in this world i probably have five preachers that i listen to more than any other and at the top of that list is a guy by the name of bob russell and he's just uh had had a lifetime of difference making preaching and teaching and i'm excited he's actually going to be with us in our church in april of 2012 he's going to preach for us on a sunday morning which is really really incredible but what i took away from the seminars that i spent with him he spoke four different times over two days What a difference good habits can make in the life of an average person. Just an average person that God said, uh, He said, I'm going to do the the good things of the Bible every day. What a difference God can use someone along those lines. That, That wasn't very well said. I apologize. Here's my point. Bottom line, good habits today make all the difference for tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thanks for today.